Hi, this is Bob Sorrentino from italiangenealogy.blog, and I'm here today with Sharon Tarmac. Sharon's written several books on Italian ancestry and researching ancestors in general. So uh, welcome, Sharon, and how's everything where you are? Uh, thank you, Bob, and welcome um, to you to come to Utah, where we're locked down with everybody else. Yeah, we're, we're locked down down here big time. Uh, my first question for you today is, have you done your own DNA test? And if so, how has that helped you with your research? Well, that will be a very short answer. No, <laughs> I have not done my DNA. Really? Is that is that because you're just not interested or because you're concerned, security concerns? or It's because I'm an only child and I would prefer not to find out that my father had affairs with other women and I have siblings. Well, out that's there. interesting that you say that because I, I have a friend... <laughs> Who actually found that out, uh, and and a cousin who actually found that out, and <laughs> I know uh, the, the interesting story <laughs> of my friend is uh, he actually he actually met uh, his his half brother who was older, uh, and his father uh, made a woman pregnant before he actually met his mother. Uh-huh. So he had no he had well, no clue. Yeah. My cousin, on the other hand, um, I. I got a. I, I shared my my DNA with a company, and I came up with a match for a second cousin. And I'm like, gee, I thought I knew all my second cousins, but this name doesn't ring a bell. And uh, I contacted her, and we couldn't put it together. And I said, well, if you do ancestry one day, we'll figure it out. And it turned out that my first cousin had an affair while he was married, <clears throat> and. Uh, you know, my, well, I guess they're both cousins, right? They, I asked my cousin that I know, and I said, said did you get a you know, match with her? Because she's on Ancestry too. And she said, I did. And she said, the only thing that she remembers, she was a little girl, and she says, I remember my mother crying in the bedroom for about two weeks. But that's all I knew until we made this connection. Can you talk a little bit about your own family research and what you found? Uh, do you want to know specifically about my Italian family or uh, whatever, whatever you like, really? Oh. I mean, you know, where, where it's, you know, the podcast is geared towards Italian, but anything okay. that's interesting, I think everybody likes to hear. So. Well, when I started doing my family history research, I worked on my mother's line that goes back to Jamestown. One of her lines goes back to Jamestown. And a lot had been already written and documented, and I thought, well, this isn't fun. So then I went to work on my Italian side, where nothing had been done, and then genealogy became more fun for me, because I could do original research and find the records that no one else had found before. And uh, it was quite exciting, especially uh, with my great-grandfather, Albino de Bartolo, who went back and forth to Italy at least two times. Um, This was before I knew about uh, migrant workers. And what he was doing is he was coming to America, making money, going back to Italy for a while, then coming back to America, making some more money, and then going back and bringing his family over. And later, when I studied the social history, I found out that was quite common. And that's when I really got interested in family history, is learning the social history, the typical patterns, the typical 
immigrant experiences, knowing they came through Ellis Island and what that was like. And that's what really got me hooked. So that's interesting um, that he was going back and forth. What year was that? Uh, I think he first came, if memory serves, in 19, I want to say 1900, but it might have been 1905. But it was um, short visits. He'd come here and he'd be here like nine months. He was a seasonal worker and then would go back to Italy for a few months and then come back to America. And that's really interesting because I had I'd never heard that before. Yeah. And I've done I've done a lot of research. I, I knew that that happened a lot um, between Italy and England mm-hmm. in the I guess the mid to late eighteen hundreds, but I didn't realize that a lot of uh, people were coming back and forth from them. I, both my grandparents, all my grandparents came they came and stayed. They came mm-hmm. around nineteen fourteen, nineteen fifteen. Uh, so what did he do that he, he was coming back and forth. Well, I don't know because I don't really have the doc. All it would say is laborer on the passenger list, so I don't really know exactly what he did. Once he finally settled here, uh, he ran a little mom-and-pop grocery store um, and then moved to San Francisco and did that there. And then my other great-grandfather also ran, it wasn't really as much a grocery store as it was a deli and a pizza parlor and a cafe. And in the end, they uh, took in boarders and that sort of thing. So um, um, I believe Albino might have been working on the railroad initially, and that's why he was coming. That's what the family story Oh, well, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. Um, yeah, you know, everybody has a, a different story. I, I know my my mother's uh, family came because my grandfather had served in the um, war in Libya, I guess around 1911 or something like that. And then World War One was breaking out. And I just recently learned this, that my grandmother said, you're not going to war again, we're going to America. Um, and my my father's family, I still don't really know why they came, and I, I'm sure I'll never find out. The only thing I know is that my grandmother had one aunt here. Uh, That's the only family that she ever had here, and to this day, you know, pretty much just the people from that line that came. Um, but her family was uh, nobility. So it was really strange to try and figure out why she came. And that's the only reason I could think that she came was because her aunt was here and must have said, life is good here in America in 1915. Well, and that's the other interesting thing about Italian immigrants in particular is um, they followed a pattern called chain migration. And for one of my lines, I've been able to trace the chain uh, through the passenger list So this person came at this time, and the passenger list says who they were going to join, and then I look up their passenger list, and it says who they were going to join in America, and I look up their list. And so I can go back, um, I think, about five or six steps following the chain of migration. Oh, that's pretty neat. Yeah, but it has to be the later passenger list. The earlier ones don't tell you that. The, The After 1906, I believe, is when they started recording that. Yeah, and there is a little bit of information on my grandmother. Now, my grandfather, I, I, I can't find him at all coming over. So I don't know if he snuck in or, or how he got right. here. <laughs> yeah. he um, and the same thing with, with my um, 
my mother's parents. I, I don't find their records, so I'm just guessing that, you know, they got lost or they, they still haven't been filmed or whatever the case may sure. be. Sure, or their names were mis, mis, uh, read in the index, they couldn't read them, or if the passenger list got wet for whatever reason, uh, it blotted out the names, there could be a lot of reasons. Right, right, yeah, I'm sure there are. Uh, being the author of so many books on genealogy and other guides and, and how to, to research, what would you suggest to somebody who's thinking about it but never really started or started and gave up? Well, uh, that's an interesting question because back in the day when I started, it was totally different than it is now. Um, now I would recommend either joining something like Ancestry.com or if you have access to a public library or a family search center library that has Ancestry.com for free, I would suggest getting on there and doing nothing. I would suggest going on there and looking for the articles, the how-to articles, how to get started. I think a big mistake a lot of people make is they're so excited to get to the records. They're so excited to trace their ancestry. And, and it, they should be, but they don't know what they're doing. And so if you go to Ancestry, they have a tab for, I forget what it's called. I can look it up real quick. But they have a tab for education or learning or something like that. But they usually have articles on how to get started. And that's what you want. Visit Ancestry Academy. They have classes. Or on Family Search, the Family Search Wiki, uh, which you can just Google that. That has articles for different states, different ethnic groups, whatever. Learn a little bit about what you want to do before you do it. And your research will be much more successful than just going at it in the dark. Yeah, and I kind of went at it in the dark uh, for the most part. What what really got me started was we had um, or have uh, a, my grandfather, my great grandfather's what I call calling card, um, basically, you know, a business card, but it's about the size of an index card almost that has his name on it and the family crest and mm-hmm. and all of that. And I've always had that my my mom had it in in the you know the family album with all the photos and I always used to ask her about it and you know this story was well he was a account actually he wasn't but he was from the family mm-hmm. um so that's what kind of got me started and I figured I was going to find him real easy I googled his name and I got um an angel fire fire listing of this family a Cracciolo from Naples. And I said, well, that's strange. I never heard that name before. And, but I found him married to an Amelia. And that made sense because my father, his name was Nicola. My father was Nicholas being the second son. And my first aunt was Amelia. So it all kind of fell into place. The marriage date made sense and all of that. So I called my cousin who lived with my grandmother. And I said, do you ever hear that name, Cracciolo? And she goes, yes, that nanny's mom's name so that kind of put it all together and then I was just I just found amazing and incredible things with that family and um, we were actually supposed to be there a week from tomorrow to meet 
third and fourth cousins that I never knew existed up until about two years ago. Oh, that's so too bad. I'm really bummed about yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, hopefully there'll be another chance. Uh, yeah, well, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna go, uh, try for October now. And what was really neat about it is that I found a person who does, she calls it Italy rooting. And what she does, it's not just, it's not a tour. She's part genealogist and part researcher and actually brings you back in time, you know, a hundred years or something like that. Oh, nice. You know, so, so she had a lot of surprises in store. So we'll, we'll have to wait another yeah. five or six months now before we go back and, and uh, we're going to have a lunch with the cousins and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I know you've written many books about researching and documenting family and how to organize. Um, and certainly when I do the posting, I'm going to put them all out there, but how do the, how do your books help people aside from, you know, looking at that uh, initial ancestry stuff? Right. Well, first of all, I want to tell listeners, if a lot of my books are out of print, there's still good information in them, but there a lot are out of print. If you go and look for a used book, please do not pay $100 for one of my books. Um, if you can't find a reasonably priced copy that you want to buy, go to your local library, or if they don't have it, request it on interlibrary loan. Okay, I don't want anybody paying um, hundreds of dollars for one of my books. I wouldn't pay that. But anyway. I think I, think I paid six okay, for the one good. that I bought. So. <laughs> good. Well, I have a variety of books. Uh, the ones that are still in print deal with writing your family history. You Can Write Your Family History is still in print and Tell It Short, Writing Your Family History in Brief is in print. Um, and that's mostly what I focus on now. My clients hire me either to write their family histories or to mentor them and help them write their family histories or I'm editing their family histories. Because as I mentioned before, what brought genealogy to life for me was the social history and learning what the typical experience was. And so when I wrote my own family histories, uh, Italians in Transition is one, and for my Irish side, my Wild Irish Rose, I wanted to put my family into a historical context. I didn't want just names, dates, and places. I wanted people to know what it was like to go through Ellis Island, uh, what it was like to um, um, uh, be an immigrant uh, in a strange land where you knew no one, you didn't speak the language or anything. And so my main emphasis now is on writing family history. But I, I have plenty of other books that help with research and, and that sort of thing. They're outdated because they were written well before the Internet, well before a lot of things came online. That was just when they were starting to come online. So even though how we access the records is different now than it was, how we use the records, how we analyze the records is still the same. We'll be right back. Italian Roots and Genealogy is proudly sponsored by Your Dolce Vita and Dawn Matera, connecting people to their purpose in life and continuing their legacy. For more information, contact Dawn at www.yourdolcevita.com. And I'm, I'm glad that we connected now because I 
I'm attempting to write a family history for many of the Italian families involved, specifically some of the nobility and stuff, and I haven't a clue. Um, so, well, so I was going to... I was going to book I, for that. <laughs> yes, I know, and I'm going to get that. But, but I also need a proofreader and somebody to make sense of it. So, and, and I started it, and I've, I've, I've done pretty well, but I'm not a writer. And um, what I was going to do now, because it was so close, I was going to wait until, you know, we came back from Italy and got more of this information. So I'm going to have to park it again for another little bit till the end of the year. But uh, I started it uh, trying to, like, intertwine the DNA and the family and all of that. And then when I went back and looked at it, picked it up again about a month ago, I said, you know, that's, this is too... It's too convoluted like mm-hmm. this. So I think I'm just going to focus about the family histories, what I learned about my mom's family and, and uh, interviews with my cousins and yeah. things like that, and then come back to uh, being there and, and meeting the cousins and uh, recently meeting a, a cousin that her grandmother lived five blocks away from me in Flushing, Queens. The families were so intertwined because she's... She descends from my grandmother's aunt, and uh, the families were so close-knit in the 30s and 40s, and I never knew any of this. Right. And when we connected through Ancestry, she actually came last year, and uh, she came with her cousin, who's, well, he's my cousin too, I guess. Mm -hmm. Uh, But his mom, my first cousin and his mom were best friends. I never knew this. And his mom used to work for my grandfather and his brother in an embroidery shop in New York City. And she brought me and my cousin Paul and my sister um, beads from my grandfather's shop. So, you know, without the internet, this never would have happened. Absolutely. And, And we were laughing because we probably passed each other on the street Sure. Uh, countless times mm-hmm. and never even knew who we were. Right, right. And, and I said to her, I said, when I, when I moved into the apartment that my cousin had vacated, um, I kind of recall now my father saying, Aunt Beatrice lives there. And you know how everybody in Italian family was, everybody's an aunt and a cousin. Sure. And I must have said to myself, being 21 years old, I was like, yeah, okay, Aunt Beatrice lives there. Who cares? <laughs> That's right. Um, so... The other fascinating thing, and I I don't know if you tie it together or not, but I know that you have a Facebook group about um, spiritualist ancestors, and you have a website addressing that. So do you tie those two things together, the ancestry and spiritual roots somehow? Well, yes and no. Um, I'm a spiritualist medium. And uh, I am working on a book which will be out this fall called In Search of Maria B. Hayden, The American Medium Who Brought Spiritualism to the UK. It's a biography of this woman who uh, very little had been known about her. What had been known about her was just her brief time in England when she was doing seances and converting all the royalty and nobility and everything else. So in my research, I feel like Maria B. Hayden has been guiding me. She was born in in 1824 and died in 1883. 
And so I do feel she was guiding me. And I think a lot of genealogists feel that their ancestors guide them. Uh, in fact, a colleague of mine and friend, Hank Jones, wrote two books called Psychic Roots and Psychic Roots Two, And it was all about serendipity and feelings we get about how our, our ancestors want us to find, well, most of them, want us to find them and how they help us and how they lead us to things we might not have found on our own. And I think that's true for Maria B. Hayden. Now, I have not done much research on my own families since I became a medium five years ago, so I can't really say that. However, I've heard from a lot of them sitting in development circles and being with other mediums and teaching mediumship. Um, my students have brought through some of my ancestors and relatives. So there is a connection, just not exactly what you might think. And, and, and I think that makes sense. A funny story about uh, my research is I had a couple of roadblocks. One was with the Piromalo family, where I, I kind of pretty much knew, based on my own research, but I, I don't like saying, I know who this is, and I know that this person's an ancestor, unless I'm absolutely sure. positively sure. And I know a lot of people don't care about that, but I do. I do, because too. Because what, what's the point if, if you can't prove it? Right. And uh, so I did hire somebody in, in Naples to help me with that. And he came back, and he, he validated all my thoughts on the Piramalo family and the Cracciolo family and found records that I couldn't find. And then as a result of that, I found other records. So that all kind of made sense. Um, I couldn't find anything on the Sorrentino family. My oldest uncle's name was Achille. So I knew pretty much my grandfather had to be Achille. And my living relatives, the older relatives, um, my grandfather's brother's family, they were all giving me a name like Matteo. And I was like, that, that doesn't make any sense. There's no, nobody's named Matteo, can't be. So um, I had it out there with this a researcher in Italy for about a year, and nothing. He didn't come back to me. In fact, I had, you know, paid him the extra money, and I was just about to ask him for the money back. And uh, my cousin Louise, who was the person that I validated the Cracciolo name with it, um, she passed away. Two days later, I got all the Sorrentino records. <laughs> And, and I said to my wife, I said, you know, coincidence? I, I don't know. I said, but it is very, very strange mm -hmm. that all of this showed up on my doorstep two days later. Yep. Well, see, I don't believe in coincidence. So I, I would say something very interesting was going on. Yeah, I, it, it, it was just very strange. And um, I've, I've had... You know, a couple other experiences, not necessarily with just with genealogy, and, and I know a lot of people don't believe in, in things, and, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm skeptical myself sometimes. Sure, so am I. Um, but, you know, there's been things that happened to myself and my wife that you just have to say whom, and I think one of the most interesting ones was um, two things that happened right around when my wife's mom passed away. The first one being is my wife always used to tell her mom, um, give me a sign. If something ever happens to mm -hmm. you, give, give me a sign. 
and um, her mom had a stroke. She was in the hospital, and her mom had a, a twin sister that passed away when she was 14. And um, my, my wife's mom, she passed away. We were both in New York City. We had to come to New Jersey to go to the hospital and all of that. And we came back from the hospital. My wife went into the bathroom, and we had a, a, a light bar with three lights on it. She turned on the lights, and the two end light bulbs went off at the same time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I've heard other people say they've had things like that happen to them. And again, you know, you could explain it by being a coincidence, but it, it just doesn't seem like it was a well, coincidence. Well, and after a while, how many coincidences can there possibly be? And we also have to remember that the law of physics says everything is made up of energy. And energy cannot be created and it cannot be destroyed. So if we're made up of energy, after the physical body dies, the, the consciousness, the spirit, the soul, the, the uh, essence of the person, whatever you want to call it, has to go somewhere. It can't be destroyed, so where does it go? Some people believe it lives on, as I do, and some people believe it's just absorbed into the universe. I can give evidence that the soul, the consciousness, lives on. I don't believe anybody can give evidence that it gets absorbed into the universe. Yeah, and that's interesting. And um, the other thing that happened right around the same time, we, we, we were moving into a new house, and we did, and... There were some strange things that would happen now and again, and, and um, yeah, we just kind of wrote it off. And we were there maybe about a year or so. And um, my father-in-law, who we, both my wife and I truly believe that he was, he could see things. Mm-hmm. Um, I picked, my wife went to see him. He was in Queens, and we lived in New Jersey. She went to see him. I picked her up at the train station. She said, uh, and normally we would get Chinese takeout and come home. And she said, we have to, I have to tell you something, but I can't tell you at home. We have to go someplace. We have to go eat someplace. So I said, no, let's just, no, I, I can't tell you at home. I have to tell you someplace else. So we go, and she said, um, my father wanted to know why we bought such a big house. It was one of the rooms for the ghost. <laughs> so she said, what are you talking about? And he said, um, there was a little old man in the room that I sleep in. He would come and visit once in a while. And he was wearing short pants and a beige baseball hat. And he was walking back and forth in front of the window. So I said, meh, who knows? That we, we knew that the person we bought the house from, that she had an elderly uh, mother and father. And um, so the next day, I saw the next door neighbor and I asked her, I said, Virginia, I have to ask you something. I said, was Rose's father a little old man and would he wear a, a beige baseball hat and walk back in front of, in one of the bedrooms? And she said, which room? And I said, you know the little room at the top of the stairs? She says, yeah, I said that room. She turned white and said, how did you know that? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, my father-in-law said he saw him. And she said, that was Rosa's sewing room, and her father would pace back and forth waiting for her to come home from work. That's wonderful. I love that story. 
Yeah, it was great. And and so there were always little things that happened. Sure. And nothing scary though. Oh no. Spirit and, and world then, isn't trying to scare us. They're only trying to get our attention. Yeah, and um after I maybe five or six years, we learned that um Rose's mom passed away and everything stopped. Oh, that's interesting. So, you know, we just figured, well, maybe he was just waiting for her to yep. come and once she came, that was that, that was, was it. That he was, was it. he was done. Uh-huh. Uh huh. That makes sense. But uh, yeah, it's it's you know it's very difficult to dismiss some of these things. And when I tell people these stories, I I know I could tell you because <laughs> you'll understand. <laughs> but you tell other people, and they look at you like I know. Okay. <laughs> I know. I have to be careful who I tell. I'm a medium. <laughs> <laughs> I I you know I just think it's it's. Fascinating. I think there's so much stuff that we, you know, we don't know about. Like my wife and I always joke about aliens because she thinks I'm nuts. And I said, I said, I'm not saying that they're here. I'm not saying that they came. All I'm saying is that it's possible. That's right. We you have know. to have an open. We don't know. You have to have an open mind. I, I said, you know, when you watch some of these these things, it's very right. very difficult to just say. Well, it was nature, or yes, these people somehow had tools that can do these position cuts that we can't make today, and things like that. And it's 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 very, very, very strange to me. Uh, how would you explain to somebody that has that urge, like we do, that ninety percent of the other people don't have? Why 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 would you think? I think I know why I have it, but why would you think that some of us just have that reason to try and find out about our past or our ancestors? Mm -hmm. Well, I can't say, obviously, with certainty, but I do feel that there's usually just at least one. You're lucky if you find more than one person in the family who's really drawn to this. And I, my personal belief after becoming a medium is just as... Some people can see spirit or some people can communicate with spirit. Those um, ancestors are calling to a particular individual in that family, and we get it. And maybe not a, on a conscious level do we hear them or see them or are aware of them, but I feel like they're the ones who are saying, oh, take a look at this. You might be interested in that. And that gets us hooked. Now, before I became a medium, I would have said, you know, it's just somebody who, who's the crazy one in the family who likes to look up dead people. <laughs> 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 so, um, you know, it's hard to say what nudges them. I, as, like I said, as a medium, I feel the spirit world is the one who nudges us now. Yeah, and it's and it's even um, we have been to Italy once, like twenty five years ago, and I know I've talked to some people who just said, "Yeah, it was a nice trip," and then I talk to other people, and they say, "I felt like I belong there." Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. the way I felt when I was there. My wife was like, "She says you love this," and and I said, "Yeah," I said, "I feel like I'm, you know, with my people." Right. Well, and that's that's another interesting story is uh, one of my DiBartolo cousins, or DiBartolo, however you want to say it, she's my fourth cousin, and 
several years ago, I get this email from this lady. She's read my book, Italians in Transition, which is her family as well. And she contacts me, and she's so excited, and, and she's planning a, a, a trip to Trilizzi, Italy, which is where our families are from, and could I, you know, help her along? And sure, I did, and, and you know, sent her maps and, and told her what I knew and who to visit there and everything else. And then she comes home, and she writes this article or this essay and sends it to me, and it was a few days before I got around to reading it, and she's talking about all the signs and symbols that she saw on her trip and how her her Italian grandmother uh, had the sixth sense or, or, or the ability to uh, communicate with uh, those who've passed and whatever, and I thought, wait a minute, this is too coincidental that this woman who I'm just learning is my fourth cousin, found me out of the blue, and we're both on the same journey to become mediums. And it's like, who coordinated that? I mean, that had to have been coordinated. That was not a coincidence. And so we, we laugh about it. We really think it was her Italian grandmother, who uh, is related a couple generations away from mine, but we really feel like it was a coordinated effort. Um, that her grandmother, her deceased grandmother, put into motion, and so all the pieces fell into place, and we've become very good friends since then. Wow, that is that is funny. Yeah, and and just for um, I, you know, I I don't know a lot about mediums and what they mm-hmm. do. I do know that my sister, um, she had a son who passed away when he was ten, and and she went to. Uh, a few people and, you know, a couple of famous ones. Um, but what exactly, you know, does a medium do in, in mm-hmm. helping people either get comfort or t- to find something out they didn't know mm-hmm. or whatever? Well, right. Well, a good medium will give you, when she or he connects with a loved one on the other side will give you evidence of that person that the medium had absolutely no way of knowing. And it might be cause of death, it might be the work they did, it might be their hobbies, it might be friendships, um, it could be any number of things that the medium obviously has absolutely no way of knowing. The only way she would know it is if she's talking to the deceased. And Typically, in a reading, that's what the medium does first. She establishes the evidence so that you say, yes, that is my grandfather or my mother or whoever it is. There's little doubt in your mind that that person is there in spirit. And then, typically, in a reading, the uh, spirit person will want to give a message to the person, the sitter or the recipient, Or they might want to offer apologies. They might feel remorse for things that they did while here in the physical world and have since learned when they do their life review in the spirit world. And so they will want to uh, try to make amends because a mediumship reading is about helping the bereaved, but it's also about helping the living and the deceased heal relationships and making sure those relationships are on a good track 
in healing and getting back on track. So that's a typical private sitting. I also do public demonstrations. And in a public demonstration, I have an audience full of people and I'm connecting with the spirit world and finding who the recipient is in the audience. Those readings are usually much shorter, about seven minutes or so. Again, but again, I'm doing the same thing. I'm bringing through evidence of this person who I have absolute no knowledge of and then bringing through usually a message of healing. Yeah, and, and my sister, like I said, she went to several. Mm -hmm. And the one that really struck me when she recounted the story um, was, which I found fascinating, because the other ones I kind of, they were more famous and, uh, you know, I don't know, it was, mm -hmm. could have been, but maybe, you right. know, not so sure. But this other one, she... Uh, she, she said to my sister, I, I see your son, and he's with a man, or a young man, and, uh, but I don't understand because he's telling me to tell you that he's with aunt. He keeps saying, I'm with aunt. He said, but there's no woman there. There's only this young man, and I, I don't understand it. And my sister couldn't figure it out. And then finally she said, do you know a, a young man who died tragically, maybe by a gun? And then it struck my sister that they had acquaintances in Staten Island uh, that they would see maybe once or twice a year. And Michael was probably eight or nine, and this fellow is Italian. His name was Anthony, but he didn't go by Tony. He went by Ant. Everybody oh. called him Ant. And these two had this symbiotic relationship. And whenever they saw each other, they just gravitated towards each other. And Michael passed away when he was 10, and I think this, this guy maybe a year or so later. Hmm. And that to me was, this person actually saw him, mm -hmm. and he recounted this story and was telling my sister, I'm with somebody safe. I'm with somebody mm -hmm. that I know. Mm -hmm. And that's very common. Children are never alone in the spirit world. When a child comes through uh, and I'm aware of a child, the first thing I do is I, I look for who, what adult is with them because they're never alone in the spirit world. Really? Mm -hmm. Well, that's, that's fascinating. Mm -hmm. And why, why is that? Um, because they're just not. Because they're, when, when children cross over into the spirit world, there's always, uh, the, if there is a relative already in the spirit world, they become like their guardians and they look after them and they help them learn and grow. And, um, and so it's often a grandparent, but it's, it can be an aunt or an uncle or someone else who had a connection either with the parent of the child or the child themselves. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah. And, and the only thing I ever had personally with that was my best friend got killed in a, in a car accident when he was 20. And I was very distraught. I was like really, I still get upset when I talk about it because mm -hmm. uh, we were such close friends. And I just, for days, I, I couldn't get on. And... Um, one night I woke up and I looked at the edge of the bed 
and he was there. And it was your typical vision of what, you know, you see mm -hmm. in the movies of this outline of him at the foot of the bed, kind of just floating. And he didn't say anything, but like he didn't talk, but he gave me a message. I'm okay. Mm -hmm. you, have, you have to stop. I'm okay. Mm -hmm. And I had the most peaceful feeling I've ever had in my life. I never had an, another, I never had that mm -hmm. much of a peaceful feeling before. That's wonderful. And, and that they do that. You know, when they cross over into spirit world, they keep an eye on us. They watch us. They watch over us. And they know if we're grieving and not letting go of their passing or obsessing about it or whatever. And so a lot of times they're just coming through to say, I'm okay. And especially if it were a particularly tragic or difficult passing, they want a lot of times when I've communicated with spirit people uh, who've had difficult deaths, physical deaths, they want the person to know that their soul was already out of the body. It was just the body shutting down and they did not feel the pain. It's more traumatic for us than it is for them. And I've also communicated with a lot of um, suicide victims. And typically, they're very remorseful. Once they get to the other side and they understand the magnitude of what they've done, they're very remorseful that they took their own lives because it not only took their life, but it took away the life of all the people who loved them. And that's a, even a, if they thought their burden in, this, in the physical world was difficult, they're going to find out when they get to the spirit world that it's even more of a burden to carry that responsibility. And that's the thing. With suicide, because life continues on, all you're shedding is the physical body. You take all your problems, you take all your joys, all your sorrow, sorrows with you to the next world. So suicide isn't solving anything. It's adding a burden. And, and unfortunately, that's what it takes for some of them to realize that that was not the thing to do. It would have been better to figure out and solve the problems here. Well, you know, they always say that, that, it's, that, that it's the coward's way out, right? Mm -hmm. that, that, you know, I mm -hmm. mean, hard to say because I've never really you know, thought of it mm -hmm. in that way. Mm -hmm. um, but let me ask you one more question. Okay. Um, why do some people, because I know, I know people say, gee, I wish somebody would contact me. I wish my father or my brother or myself, whatever. Why is it that some people may have somebody contact them with or without a medium and some people don't. Is it because they're close to it? They don't really believe? I mean, what's your thought on that? Well, there could be a number of reasons. I mean, if the person still left in the physical world doesn't believe, they're not going to be open to any kind of communication. But we also have to remember that, as I said, we take all of our problems and issues with us when we go to the spirit world. If we haven't resolved them before we left, and who of us has resolved every single issue and every single relationship, um, that's what we work on on the other side. The spirit world, 
um, has doctors and therapists, those who pass, those who are doctors here who pass into the spirit world still practice over there. Those who are therapists still practice over there. And there are a lot of souls that still need help. Of the suicide victims I've talked to, some of them, I can see them in the spirit world, but they keep their back to me because they're ashamed, they're embarrassed. They're not ready to face the loved one. They're there, and I can tell the recipient they're there, but they're not yet ready to face what they've done or they're not ready to face you um, because they feel like they won't be forgiven or they aren't forgiven. And so there's a lot of healing that takes place on the other side. So communication, that's why we say we can't conjure the dead or we can't call up somebody at will. They have to be willing to communicate and the person receiving the communication has to be willing to receive it. Wow, that's fascinating. Uh, it, it really is. A, mm -hmm. uh, I could go on for hours. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you could, too. It it's is just, fascinating. Um, well, you know, I, you know, being raised a Catholic and all of that, you know, so you're, taught to, you're taught to, you know, all these mysteries and all mm -hmm. of these things. And, and a lot of this is counter to what Catholics believe. And Actually, it, it's not. Actually, it's not. Catholics talk to the dead. You're allowed to light candles for the dead. You're allowed to talk That's to true. the saints. Yeah. You're allowed to talk to um, the angels. What they don't like is that there's a two-way communication. <laughs> you can I still see. talk to them. <laughs> they just don't want you having a two-way communication. <laughs> That's too funny. Well, I always tell my wife, one of my... Uh, one of my Great, 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 great grandfathers. Actually, two. There's two. Uh, two of them were popes. Oh. And, and I have several saints going back mm -hmm. uh, through that Caracciolo line. But I always tell my wife, I said, well, if I run into Pope Paul III on the other side, I don't know if that's going to be a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, uh, he was making his uh, nephews and his uh, sons cardinals when they were like 18 years old uh -huh. and things like that. So, uh -huh. so who knows? Um, but anyway, this, uh, this has been fascinating without a doubt. Uh, I really, really appreciate the time and the chat. And You're so welcome. You, you're being open about this because I think it's a fascinating subject. And I think outside of the genealogy, I think a lot of people are going to be interested in hearing that, whether, whether they believe or don't believe. <laughs> I myself, based on my own experiences, I, I know there's something out there that I don't understand. And I know that right. um, in certain ways, especially a couple of things that happen with genealogy, to your point, that maybe there was a little nudge someplace there to get me the information I need. So. Mm -hmm. Um, well, thanks again. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook in the Italian Genealogy Group or at www.italiangenealogy.blog.